hello, hello. Welcome to episode nine of Future Shock. And the title and what we're talking about today is Web 3. I kept saying Web 3.0, Matt, when we were talking about it's this. It's both. It, 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 there's a little fight going on. <laughs> Oh, whether it's Web3 or Web3.0. Web3 or Web3.0. I know with HTML, like HTML had that same fight too, about like with, with the numbering and things like that. So episode 9.0, talking about Web3.0. Uh, so welcome for, for loyal listeners and, and fellow group. My name is Christian Lagarde. I'm, I'm here with the Lagarde Consulting Group and my co-host here, Matt Poland. Matt, say hello. Hello, from Map Advising. Map advising, uh, and I always liked that. I always liked your logo, uh, your your background there. For those that are listening, <laughs> yeah, it's my, my map advising logo. Yep, exactly. For those that are listening on the podcast, you can't see our backgrounds, but that is a super cool map in the back. For those on YouTube, hello. If you're watching the video uh, today, we're going to talk about Web 3.0. When I say talk about, what we mean is we're going to go at a very very surface level conceptual conversation about Web 3.0. Uh, Matt has spent some time digging into it. I've spent a little bit of time learning a little bit about it. And the more I learn, it seems like the deeper the vat of information is. And every time you peel a layer, there's another layer. So for this, for this podcast, for this conversation, we want to be clear to those who are listening that this is very exploratory on our end. We wanted to ensure that it was on everyone's radar because this is definitely, as we talk through this, definitely impacting workforce education and and workforce development or higher education and workforce development in a potential big way. And the things that are happening out there really have impact to the future of work and the future of training and education that are our clients and are our our mainstays in our in our work moving forward. Yeah. So so thanks for that introduction, Christian. And um as Christian said, we're just kind of scratching the surface of Web3 or Web3.0. It's, it's being called both things out there. Um, and there, there's a lot to this. Uh, and if you, if you think it's just about crypto and blockchain, you're in for a surprise. There's a lot brewing there that, that a lot of folks are participating in and really could have major impacts even, you know, within the next few years, but certainly within the next five to 10 years, you know, in, in that kind of time horizon. So I'm going to walk through a little bit of the iterations um, of the internet or web. Um, so I'll, I'll skip past web 1.0, although I have a graphic toward the end that sort of compares web 1.0 to what web 2.0 was and what web 3.0 is. So we're sort of still at the tail end of what was called or what is called Web 2.0 <clears throat> started around 2002. Prior to this, uh, the internet was mostly passive. It was it was uh, content being pushed out, and if you're on the internet, you're mostly absorbing contact content, doing some communication through email or chat rooms or what have you. But mostly, you're on the receiving end. It was a it was a information storage. Uh, device, you know, for most people or access, way to access information. So it, Web 2.0 brought about it machine-based, uh, a shift from machine-based computing to network-based. Um, so now just in term, now we're not just using individual computers uh, for processing data, we're using networks and we're starting to go towards cloud computing, which, you know, comes more towards the end of that, uh, the early aughts there. 
or during the aughts. And the birth of social media, of course, uh, MySpace and LinkedIn both started in 2003, interestingly. When you I looked serious? I did not know this little bit of history. Yeah. But the fact that MySpace, which I don't even remember if I had an account or not, the fact that it started in the same year is wild. I did not know Yeah, that. and it, so they weren't exactly the first social media. There's some much smaller ones that predated them and MySpace and LinkedIn were sort of building off the idea, but they were really both the first widely adopted. I think they, they credit MySpace with being one of the first like internationally adopted social media sites. Um, and you had your first friend, Tom, <laughs> who showed up on your page. Do you remember Tom from my, yeah, he was the founder of MySpace. Um, I looked it up. He's doing digital photography now and you know, he retired with his 500 some million dollars that uh, when it got bought by a news organization, News Corp, I think. Okay. Um, but anyway, so we have social media that starts up uh, early aughts. Obviously, that explodes and becomes a major part of our lives and our discourse going into the 2010s. Um, big growth of user generated content. Right. So it used to be it was companies and webs. If you happen to own a website, you are generating content. Now there's much there's blogs. Uh, there's people starting to post videos probably towards the end, of, you know, maybe towards the end of the decade here when YouTube launched a lot more user generated content, not just institutionally generated. And then websites have functions. So they're no longer just passive ways to gather information. They you can purchase things on there. There's e-commerce is born. Um, er, early days of websites, they would just send you to their mail order catalog. <laughs> You're still ordering things in snail mail and paying them with a credit card over the phone. Um, but they're now starting to sell things online, right? Um, and there's just an explosion in engagement. Um, and my next slide talks a little bit about that, of the number of internet users in the United States here from Statista. Uh, so, you know, starting in 2000, it's, it's, it's starting to go up. It flattens. Interestingly, you can kind of see right in the middle here, uh, the Great Recession, where the internet users flatten out almost in line with the Great Recession, which I thought was interesting. Um, <clears throat> and then start to you know, have a quick rise again, 2011 up through 2019 when the status set ends. Um, but this was this was Web 2.0 of going from, you know, just over 100 uh, million users in the United States to, you know, we're, we're, pat we're probably up to, you know, by 2022, I would imagine we're, we've surpassed 350. This data set only goes to 2019. You can see it's like 325, but almost. Yeah, that's interesting that this chart that you have up here, the, the, the showcase of it. And I'm wondering how much of that also had to do with broadband, mm -hmm. speed increasing and, and broadband access and the laying of fiber optics and all that. That was all, all the infrastructure was happening or really couldn't happen because of the crash of the financial. So there weren't a lot of capital investments into that. It was, everything was kind of on hold. So once they'd all yeah. settled out, then boom, then an, an enormous blast. Once, once companies got, it, got their capital back uh, and they weren't afraid of the stock market anymore and, and raising money and the like, I'm guessing yeah. that was a- And this doesn't even show the data of like the number of people that own smartphones, you know, which is, is order, orders of magnitude larger than those that own home computers, right? Especially when we're talking worldwide um, in, in poorer countries, it's way more common for people to have smartphones, right? Than to have a computer. Although a lot more people, so that just, you know, the access to the internet just explodes with smartphones too. 
which it would be its own sort of data set here. <clears throat> so what's web web three? Um, it's already begun. I, I, I couldn't tell you the exact year, had trouble kind of pinpointing that. Um, within the last few years, you know, I, it was probably a, the start date for it. But what Web3 is really about, um, you, you'll find different information on, online. You'll find something called the semantic web. Um, I'm not going to get into detail about what the semantic web is about. It's a very technical concept of what they thought Web 3.0 was going to be. And most people agree that it didn't really go in that direction. It wasn't really possible. It had to do with machine readable information and everything. Um, but when they, most folks who are talking about Web3, they're talking about decentralization. They're talking about blockchain. They're talking about an online economy that's driven by cryptocurrency. Um, and it's user owned instead of institutionally owned. And that's, that's sort of the ideal behind this is let's finally have an internet that's owned by everyone who uses it, not by a small number of companies like your Google, Facebook, Amazon, right? That's the concept behind it. Um, along with that comes things I'm sure you've all heard of, non-fungible tokens. Um, and then you know, I, have, I mentioned blockchain, but you may not have heard of uh, a couple down here, decentralized apps um, and decentralized autonomous organizations, which I'm gonna go into a little bit more detail. So, and Matt, did you, put, yeah. did, you put, did you put NFTs in there just to bait me to say something about NFTs? Because, <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah, as the as the as our listeners may or may not know, uh, there and Matt knows this. Like, there was a time when I was sort of hating on NFTs, really because I didn't understand what it was. But the more I've learned about it, and the more I've learned about this, what we what Web 3.0 represents for creators of NFTs for designers of NFTs and just the ownership that it then gives them of that said whatever. Uh, I've become an, an, a huge fan. And I really think that because of what is happening right now as we speak within this world of, of blockchain and, and, and the, the payment structure from cryptocurrency to buy and transfer these NFTs and everything behind the NFT with the smart contracts that we'll probably get into in a, in a future episode about what what that means to the to the world of transactions, period, uh, is is fascinating. So, uh, yeah, I've turned the corner, uh, Matt, on NFTs, yep. and I, I'm a huge fan of them now. And I'm sure we'll talk about them more. But yeah, I too am very interested about your research on the on the Deus and what. Yeah, and, what and uh, so the one interesting thing too about Web three is that, as I was reading about it, Web three is sort of almost a return to what web 1.0 was supposed to be. So if you read articles and books and stuff about um, the internet, you know, back in the nineties, that's what they wanted it to be. They wanted it to be, is this network for people to communicate and collaborate and, and that everyone who used it sort of had a stake in the ownership of building it. And then it didn't, you know, it didn't turn out that way. It ended up being kind of dominated by uh, a small number of companies uh, as we, enter 2022 here. Um, and Web3 is sort of like, no, we're going to kind of take it back and here's how we're going to do it. You know, it, when you read what the folks that are in this field are writing and, and doing uh, with this stuff. And I, I find the decentralized autonomous organization particularly interesting and sort of an actionable way to sort of change the way we work, you know, when we talk about future work. And that's why I wanted to focus on that a little bit. Um, here's a, a handy graphic of just kind of comparing 
uh, the, the iterations web 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. Um, as you can see, like we talked before, web 1.0, it's just information being generated to users. There's very few number of users that are kicking internet out or kicking content out to the internet. Um, and there's a smaller number of users. I, I can't, I couldn't back up these numbers. I'm not sure about the exact numbers they have on here, but as far as just getting a sense of what these various iterations of the web were about. Um, web 2.0 that we're, you know, more or less in the tail end of um, whatever we go, even we don't go into something like web three, we're probably at the tail end of this iteration. A uh, whole lot more users generating content um, a lot more published content. And what this graphic doesn't have is a lot more sort of centralized ownership of the web, basically, um, is happening in web 2.0. It has happened, you know, in the iteration web 2.0. Um, and then web 3.0, as you can see in this graphic, it, what aligns with what we're talking about um, is, you know, a, a much bigger, you know, almost a doubling there the, as far as this graphic goes of user-generated content, a lot more like user ownership of it. Um, but before we go into the decentralized autonomous organizations, we want to talk about um, a couple of ways that it applies in education. Uh, have Christian yeah. introduce this? Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Block, yeah. Blockchain education. It's been, I guess, both on Matt and I's radar since 2020, when the Department of Education came out with a educational blockchain initiative, which was funded by DOE and in partnership with ACE, which is the American Council for Education essentially exploring how could education use blockchain and education meaning education providers and then the learners themselves to be able to carry all their digital records and all their other digital records or education data etc through the blockchain and it was quite you know when if when when this was launched in 2020 so much has happened in two years about like, or, you know, it's crazy how much momentum that this, the, what we we're just talking about, NFTs, the blockchain, cryptocurrency, the acceptance of it, the yeah. way that people are buying it now. Everybody has some sort of token in their, in their stock portfolio now. It could be a Doge or it could be, a, it could be Bitcoin or Ethereum or something like that. Uh, but so much has happened within this space in two years, which is why we want to continue to talk about it because it's heating up and it's only going to get hotter. So I think what I what I give a credit to Department of Education and Sharon Liu and her team over at over at Ed was really beginning this awareness and conversation around this, uh, which has then led to I say it led to because they're very similar these LERs, and that is definitely becoming very very in, in our space in, in the world of higher education and employment both on the side of workforce development boards and. And with higher education is these LERs and the LERs, a digital record of learning and work that can be linked to an individual combined with other digital records for pursuing education and employment opportunities. So yeah, Matt, thank you. Every, every course you've ever taken, every credential you've ever gotten, both on the digital side or at a, at a college or university, uh, any learning you've got from, from LinkedIn, any digital badge that you're carrying with you any industry-based credential that is very hard to track sometimes. Uh, I know the National Clearinghouse really hasn't figured out how this, how to take a cert from CompTIA or Cisco and identify it to an employer or back to the institution that helped them to get it. Uh, there's, there's, there was a big gap for that. So in other words, talk about that. Well, this is the solution. LARs are now the solution to that. 
and thinking about an LER as, as sort of an electronic medical record. Yeah. Now, everything, when you go to the doctor, you go to the hospital, everything's on Epic, right? And I'm not plugging Epic, but I'm just saying Epic seems yep. to be a very popular. It's the pretty dominant EHR. <laughs> pretty dominant one. So think about LERs as the same thing as your electronic medical record and how a train, you, you go to a doctor on one side of the country to the other, it's all there. Uh, they know your medicines, they know, your, they know everything. Same thing with this. Now it can translate your record yeah. to an employer or what have you. So lots happening in this space. This doesn't want to be the last time we talked about it. But yeah, I was just going to say maybe the uh, just a small difference, right, is that if if it was on the blockchain, I think the way this is conceptualized is, a, is all around the user ownership of their data, right? So you have your public key and someone only has access to your information. If it was done in medicine, it'd be your medical record. If it's education, it'd be your credentials. And you give them your public key to verify it. Otherwise, they don't own it. It's not a single institution that owns it. It's not even an epic, right? It's right. it's a public record, but it's coded and it's crypt encrypted. Um, and the only way that folks can um, decrypt it is with your public key saying, I want you to know about my credentials or you know my medical record and you own your own data. That's right. And that's where the public blockchain and the private blockchain come into the conversation about what that means and the openness and the inoperability and all the other things that happen with it, still more secure than anything else out there as far as, as, far as transmitting information or, or housing information. So lots happening in this space. And I know that this somewhat, you know, will, will come up in our conversations moving forward and will come up again in probably a future podcast as we dive a little bit deeper into what, what and how education and the workforce system is using blockchain. Definitely. And there's not enough of these sort of practical applications out there yet. So I'm hoping to see more of them, but this is a yeah, real solid one in the education space. Um, so moving on to talk about DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations. Um, something that just sparked my curiosity in returning to blockchain and what was happening in that space. Um, it's very closely intertwined with blockchain and cryptocurrency. Um, and I'm going to do my best to give you a, a, just sort of an overview of what they are without getting into a lot of the technical detail that come with them. So DAOs are organizations that are based in the Ethereum blockchain. Um, and the Ethereum blockchain is special because it has smart contracts. It was the first blockchain uh, to introduce the smart contract idea where you could basically lock an agreement um, for performing services or performing some type of action for a payment in cryptocurrency into code, into a public ledger. Um, Ethereum is the second largest network of crypto, if you didn't know that. Bitcoin obviously is no, number one. Ethereum is a close number two. Um, and so recently, these organizations, decentralized autonomous organizations, have been cropping up within the Ethereum blockchain um, they're created with smart contracts and they, you know, they can, they can do a number of different things. Uh, some of them are building code, they're building websites or they're building code for other people. A lot of them building blockchains for other organizations. Uh, they're doing marketing and newsletters. They're building communities. Um, there's a lot that is happening with them. It's still a kind of a narrow number of things that they're doing at the moment, but within one. Folks can join guilds uh, and you work on projects and it kind of the interest, you know, there's several really interesting things about this. So when we talk about the future of work and sort of having more autonomy over your work life 
and what you do for work. <clears throat> in a DAO, you can work as much or as little as you want to. You can plug into a guild and you can sign up for stuff, or you can even sign up for a whole role, an entire role, you know, where you're expected to do a lot more. Um, and it, you know, it's basically it, what you want to make it as far as the work that you do within it. There's work that's to be done and there's governance that happens and all that decision-making governance takes place by open voting systems. So you can plug in, do work for a decentralized autonomous organization, whatever that might be. You can also participate in the governance if you want to. Um, you can help make decisions on what guilds get created, what projects get picked up, who runs those projects. Um, it's all an open kind of governance system that comes with a decentralized autonomous organizations. Um, you know, for the last, what, 15 or 20 years, we've talked about flattened hierarchies and organizations that don't usually end up really being that way. There's still people with a lot of power for the organizations. DAOs are built so that power does not get centralized in a small number of people, that it's, it's much more open and participatory in the way that it operates. Um, they coordinate their, their work through messaging systems. Uh, a super popular one is Discord. Um, that seems to be a, a really key one for DAOs. Um, they can, people can be anonymous if they choose. Another thing that's very different from the way we do work now, there's no HR paperwork. You're not getting hired. There's not an employment relationship, at least not in the traditional sense. Um, so you don't have to share your real name, let alone your social security number and your address and everything like that. Um, you basically build a reputation. You pick up work, you finish the work. People know you're going to get the work done. You do it well. They'll keep bringing you in to do more projects. You know, they don't have to know any personal details about you whatsoever. Some people choose to give personal details and some don't. Um, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to see where Christian's mind is on this. I've, uh, we've been chatting about it over the last couple of times. It looks like you're muted. Oh yeah, it's already, it's already <laughs> melted uh, from, from, from this. And I, I'm thinking in my own mind about, right, how, how does this change work? You know, how does this change how we operate, how, uh, how consultants do work, what, the gig, what is the impact of the gig economy? Does this, is the gig economy even part of this? You know, so I, I, yeah, like all this is right. so smiling in my head. Gig economy is the, the, the phrase I didn't get out when I was trying to describe it. It's like, this is, this is almost a pure, you know, it could be, it's not there. It's got a long ways. It could be a real pure gig economy for the worker. I can right. pick up whatever work I want. I can, you know, I can get paid mostly what I want because I'll choose projects. You know, sometimes the pay is set, sometimes you negotiate it, but you'll get to choose what you do. So if something doesn't sound like a good rate or good payment, you don't pick up that project or that piece of work and you move on to something else. So it would be sort of the real pure gig, not run. I mean, our gig economy is still run by a small number of centralized corporate actors right yeah the upwards the fibers all yeah. the all those other types of things right where you can similar but it's still you're still paying a vig to to upwork you're still paying a vig to fiber you're still paying a vig to whatever yep. uh, this and takes all those companies out of the play just just to give a quick snapshot you know so on the left you have your tra traditional centralized org chart that we're, we're all used to the CEO ran under the CEO, the rest of the C-suite. Um, it calls them non-managers in this, but then you've got your, you know, managers and coordinators down to your staff level, right? Um, and if you're down at that staff level 
Um, we've all been there. It's really hard sometimes to, to get the work that you want to get and to push your ideas. And you certainly can be pretty distant from decision-making, um, but not in a DAO. So a DAO it, on the right, you know, you see the people, there's not, a, a, you know, there's, it's not top down. There's not a order of operations. There's not a person over another person. The little guys there, the miners, which has to do with cryptocurrency. It's not the best graphic, but it gets the idea that everybody, you know, people are doing work and that's the computers and the people and no one is sort of in charge of anybody else. They all collaborate and work together to get the work done. So now a sort of a critique of what, what I've been learning. Um, and could this be the way organizations function in the future? Um, it, if it were a way that organizations fun functioned, it can create more equitable and accessible work opportunities for more people. Again, there's not a hierarchy. Um, right. Not only that, as there's no hiring process, there's there's no discrimination in a hiring process because there isn't one. You, yeah. you drop it, you literally can drop into Discord, tell them you're interested, join a guild and, and take on work. And then you'll submit your work. And if, if it gets approved by a, you know, a majority of people in the group, then you're paid for it, more or less. If they don't care who you are, you can be completely anonymous. Yeah. Um, but the anonymous part is what's the most intriguing about is, is the most intriguing about that to your exact point about it just clears every single, it just makes everybody on the same playing field and just the equitable nature yeah. of it is just perfect for for, for it's work. equitable in that way. It's not equitable in other ways, which we'll get to in a minute. <laughs> um uh, limited overhead and inefficiencies with management, right? So there, we all know there is a ton wasted on management, CEO and C-suite salaries, um, and just like gridlock with decision-making. Like the larger organizations get, the harder it is to, for them to make decisions and the slower they move. Um, if they dominate a large part of the market, that doesn't matter so much. Um, but if, if they're a smaller actor trying to uh, get a market share, that's a big problem. Um, there's significant flexibility and independence in the work like we talked about. Um, and then, like I talked about before, you can both, you can just show up to do work. Um, you can show up to help govern and guide it and you can do both. You know, it, it's open for everybody to do either, actually perform work for the organization and help guide it. Okay, but now the, now the downsides, and I know we're, we're getting close to the end of our time, so I'll, I'll try to get through these quickly. Uh, um, it's currently pretty inaccessible for the average person. Now, when I said it, like you can drop in, like, so if you have the wherewithal to do some of the background research and download Discord and jump in, yeah, you can do it. But do most people understand how to do that? Or would most people be able to find their way around Discord? It's, it's really inaccessible. Um, I've been trying to do some of that to research and, and get into these Discord discussions. It's, it's tough. And <laughs> I have... A small amount of tech background before my workforce development background, and, and I'm struggling with it, right? Yeah. It has a very long way to go to be a user-friendly app like Uber is for Uber drivers or TaskRabbit or what have you, where you could just plug in and start working. It's pretty far from that. It's, I would say, five years from that. Um, but if they got there and they made it more accessible as far as how the interface, like user interface and worker experience, it has a lot of potential as far as its equitable ability and so forth. Limited types of work opportunities. Like I said before, right now, most people are developers. They're in the tech world, 
they, they appear to come mostly from the tech world or finance, right? Like people that are sort of disillusioned with the way we do finance these days and are more interested in crypto, they're coming into that space. And then you have a lot of developers and tech folks. So the work opportunities are mostly, if you're not a developer, you can do some writing, marketing, client, you know, sales management kind of stuff. And that's pretty much it from what I can tell. Um, I think there's, there's a, you know, a plethora of opportunity of different types of work that could be done, but it's not being done right now. Payments only in crypto. Of course, you can convert crypto to US dollars or whichever currency you like um, on a number of exchanges, but that's they get paid in tokens. And tokens is a whole other, <laughs> would be right. a whole other uh, web, webinar about how tokens are related to crypto. Um, there, there's some issues with the technology itself, the code base operations, especially the smart contracts are still a nascent thing. And there's ways that smart contracts you know, there's errors being written in smart contracts right now. So there's companies cropping up to sort of verify smart contracts and make sure they're written correctly so that someone is paid what they're supposed to and it doesn't break down and crypto doesn't get locked up in the blockchain and inaccessible, things like that. Um, and sustainability is a major question. There's an explosion of it right now and it's so new. It's so new. I mean, these started uh, a couple of years ago. There was a DAO about five years ago, a single one it had a big breach and failed. So it kind of died down. And then there was, a, there's been this explosion in the last like year and a half to two years. So whether or not they'll be able to build and something sustainable is still a big question. So Christian, I'll let you react. I <laughs> still a lot of talking. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing all this stuff and like doing the, doing the research for this, for this, like that. Even with even with the challenges that that you were just describing, right? Payment in crypto, that's becoming a little bit more standard now. The limited work opportunities, to your point, once there's more acceptance and awareness and access, watch yeah. what happens. Just like everything else, like watch what watch what happens, and it, it yeah. will. It may still stay in the tech and finance range, but the types of things that are needed will start will start to increase. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know, even, even thinking about all these challenges, like I still can see how this could scale Yeah. Uh, in a big way and how even, you know, even with the inaccessibility that, that we're talking about. And I, I too got, got invited to my first Discord two days ago. I'm still <laughs> lost. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing, yeah. but I know I'm in it now. But, uh, but yeah, like Discord is not very, it's not very, it's just, you're right. It's yeah. not very easy to access. And yeah. I, I, I too consider myself a bit tech savvy. Um, but I, even with all, even with all the challenges and even sustainability is a major question, I think we're going to reach this sort of critical mass point, just like what's happening with the other things we just talked about with NFTs and, and the like, where this yeah. is going to become something a little bit bigger. And I think one of your points earlier was about, you know, is this, the, is this how organizations could work in the future? I think organizations are going to be started this way. They're not yep. going to convert. Oh yeah, they are yeah. being. Well, that's. I mean, that's kind of the idea. These they are being started this way. These DAOs are organizations. They're not. They're not. Uh, they're just very, very different than what we're used to. Right. Yeah, and it's easy to sort of relegate them to be like, oh, that's that's a crypto thing, or that's. But I, I think it's much bigger than that, and and has a lot of potential that people are are generating right now. Um, could you run? A, a hospital or a restaurant as a decentralized autonomous organization right now? No, no, no way. Um, but could you do what, could you run Uber or Lyft as these? Oh, absolutely. 
Uber or Lyft could be decentralized and operate. Um, they won't, and they're going to make sure that that doesn't. <laughs> there isn't a a, a a DAO that competes with them, but it could be like that's something certainly that could be done with someone using an app to you know pick up work and set prices and participate in the governance rather than the company setting the prices, deciding right. what the company does. Yeah, that could be done um, as a DAO. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if someone's trying, but um, but that's that's a, hopefully a good overview of web 3.0 and you know we might return to this or web 3 especially in the crypto blockchain world they call it web 3 they don't like 3.0 i think 3.0 is the old <laughs> title of what we're moving into at least in their in their minds but hopefully that's a good overview and that you had learned something about DAOs too which i find fascinating i i did i mean you you were talking you were telling me about it the other day and that's how we came to the decision to do this episode, right? Is the like, yeah. no, there's too much in this. Like this is something that's, it's, you know, it's super, it is super niche and a super sort of like new idea to the, to the world. But the impact that this has, the potential impact that this has to, to yeah, in, in, job seekers is enormous. Right. In 2005, if you told people they could run their company through an app the way Uber does, it would be the same thing. People would be like, no way, that's not possible. Apps are just are for selling things yeah. or, you know, um, and now, yeah, there are how many companies are run through an app entire, like exclusively almost. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential here. One thing I know, one thing I know for sure is that, you know, the blockchain cryptocurrency, you're, we're going to we're going to talk about that probably pretty very soon um, because the, the more that we understand it, the more that we're seeing it in our field, the more conversations we're having around it, the more, you know, the work that we're doing with uh, employers that are thinking about Bitcoin mining, developing data centers just mm -hmm. for this is, is starting, it's starting to rise to like, you, we used to hear like once a month now, every, at least once a week, people are talking about what that could look like and how they're using it, what they're doing with it. So yeah, I think in even in our own our own space, Matt, I think we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have to know, and we hope that this episode educated everyone listening a little bit more than what they knew about it before. So thanks for listening, all. Thanks for watching. Yeah. You're on on YouTube, and uh, we'll see you in the double digit. We'll see you yeah. in episode ten. See you when soon. we hit number ten. Right. Thanks, everybody. Cool. All right, Matt. See you.